Roll for initiative. Hello, all you nerdy adventurers, and welcome to Everyday Dungeon Master, a podcast for the everyday DM and the players who love them. My name is Heath, your host, and I'm joined today by guest DM David. Hey, everybody. And we got a great show for you, so stick around as we talk about the crucible of fate on today's show. David, welcome to the show. It's been a while in the making. You know, we've had, we've had you on the list to, to bring you in as a guest, and I'm stoked to talk to you today. I'm really stoked about our topic because I, I love your project, and I'm not gonna we're not gonna dive fully into it right this second, but I just want to say that your project's amazing. Can't wait for our listeners to hear more about it and find out how they can get involved if they want to get involved. But dude, you're you're creating waves in the D and D community, and I love it. Cool. No, thanks. Uh, I'm having a lot of fun with it. And yeah, I'm really looking forward to telling you guys all about it. Well, I can't wait to hear about it. But before we do that, as everyone knows, we have to dive into icebreakers because I am just a sucker for a good icebreaker. And uh, people love them. Love them or hate them. Icebreakers are, icebreakers are an essential part. So uh, before we recorded... David, I sent out a, a form that collected all of your very classified and highly detailed personal information that I can use to exploit you uh, to my listening audience. And so I'm going to go ahead and dive into some of those questions uh, for you. So first icebreaker is you mentioned that you work for the Canadian government, which makes you Canadian, right? <laughs> and so, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so how's life? As a government employee, look, I I love the the public service. Um, growing up as a young pup um, in the eighties, I was um, front and center for the tail end of the Cold War, watching stuff like Commando and Aliens on TV, and <laughs> I was just a, a naive kid. Um, so growing up. I wanted to join the army and I wanted to be James Bond and thinking I was going to be running around doing a bunch of crazy stuff. As I grew up and kind of matured a bit, I saw what the kind of the real options were. I mean, I did join um, the primary reserve here in Canada, which I believe is kind of like your national guard. And I was a captain in the air defense artillery. So we would train to shoot down planes uh, doesn't happen a lot in Canada, as you can imagine, but uh, still a lot oh, okay. of fun training. I just assumed that Canada was a place where they shot down planes daily. So thanks for clearing that up. I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, as fun as the training was, it kind of did seem a bit like a, an empty career from a certain point of view, at least in that trade. So I was looking at kind of the more civilian stuff um, and wanted to be in the security and intelligence community. So yeah, I applied and ended up getting a full-time job as an analyst, and I've been doing that for 20 years, and I've loved it, and uh, you know, it's it's given me a great quality of life, especially through things like COVID, and I've worked on a lot of interesting files. So um, yeah, I have no complaints whatsoever, and it's put me in a position where now you know I've got the time and the capability to start this project. That's awesome. It's always good to uh, find a career, even if it's something that you'd like never necessarily foresaw happening, like as a younger kid, right? You didn't end up being James Bond, but you <laughs> yeah. found, but you found a career that like makes you happy and gives you what you need in life to, to live a, a, a nice, well-rounded life outside of work as well. So that's, that's awesome. Definitely. Yeah. And uh, I've got a great bunch of staff and um, they're all very motivated and we're just, you know, doing our best to uh, keep Canada and Canadians and Canadian interests safe. And that's a very fulfilling, noble thing in my mind. That's really cool. All right. So we're going to talk extensively today about your hosting your own uh, D&D game show called Crucible of Fate. 
that's on YouTube. Everyone should go check it out for sure. I think there's four episodes out right now. Is that correct? So episodes one and two came out as their own uh, kind of separate episodes. But um, just due to the length of filming, we've started to break it down into two parts. So we have episodes one through four available, but uh, three and four are two parts each. Awesome. And I think that's actually a really cool way to do it. You know, for a lot of people, I think you you expand your audience. You know, I know for me, I don't have time to listen to a five-hour video, which is why I love Critical Role, but I can't be, I just can't do it because I just don't ever have the time. People tell me, oh, you can listen to an hour at a time, whatever. That, yeah, I get it. But like, I just, like my brain, I don't know. It's just something about looking at a four-hour runtime that like makes me freak out. Uh, so, um, so I think you expand your listener base when you when you break it up into a couple more parts for sure. Yeah, I I hear you, man. I mean, when I see a video that has a, you know an interesting title and it's a topic that I'm interested in um, by a creator that that's entertaining, I, I want to listen to the whole thing. But certainly, seeing that four or five hour runtime can be uh, a bit intimidating. But I have noticed that. When I consume YouTube, sometimes, well, critical, you mentioned critical role, and I would add, you know, um, like Matthew Colville to that list for me personally. I'll just start listening while I'm doing my thing, you know, cooking dinner, painting minis, vacuuming, like anything. And I'll, you know, I'm just continuously listening to it. And then I don't even know what episode I'm on. And when I get back at it, I just hit play again and, and carry on. So, Yep, it can definitely be intimidating, but I think the reality for me is uh, I just get lost in the content and it could be 12 hours long and I'd still watch it. Okay. No, I mean, that makes sense too, you know, for sure. I think I just have to motivate myself to actually hit play when I'm doing other things uh, <laughs> instead of uh, instead of moving on to something else and, uh, and or just not listening to things. I'm really bad. I, I have a job where I could listen to things and I just don't because... I can't focus if I listen to something as sad as that is. I wish I could, uh, but I literally just sit there looking at my work and I'll, and I'll end up just like watching the YouTube video or tuning into the podcast clo closer and just like stop working. And then there'll be an hour and I'll be like, I didn't do anything. Totally. And, and I'm the same way. That's why I've got to be doing mindless work, you know, like, like painting or chores where I can really listen to what's going on. I don't have to be alert and creative on my own. Uh, if I'm doing some kind of creative work, there can't be any voices or even music. I just kind of have like ambient sound on just to keep my brain going. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense for sure. Well, so that makes you then a YouTuber. You're officially a YouTuber, David. Uh, isn't that crazy? W were you someone who enjoyed watching YouTube creators before you took on this endeavor? Like, did you have certain YouTube creators that you just followed outside of D&D &D or inside of D&D &D or like just all over the spectrum? Yeah, I did. So about six years ago now, I started getting into painting minis. And uh, in particular, I bought Imperial Assault, a uh, great little Star Wars game. And I was just opening the box and seeing all that plastic. And they were beautiful minis, but I, I was thinking like, I don't want to play with this plain old gray and flesh colored <laughs> plastic. Like I need to paint these things and make them look you know, nice. And so that was kind of my first real dive into YouTube to look for something specific to get help with. And um, I found like Sarastro, uh, who is a, a great miniature painter and, and miniac. And watching their videos, I just couldn't believe well, the quality of their videos, the quality of their instruction. And before I knew it, like I was painting imperial stormtroopers and they looked badass and i'm like this is fantastic <laughs> and uh that was kind of the start for me and then it branched out into D, &D of course because that's been a hobby of mine for decades and i found critical role and obviously the cast there and matt that just blew me away at the quality of the storytelling, the the descriptive nature of um, you know Matt's way of, of storytelling, mm -hmm. even in combat, it wasn't like you hit and you did four damage. You know they were describing everything, and everyone was so engaged in the story, and um, it just seemed like a beautiful thing to me. And then I stumbled on other people like Matt Colville, who was teaching new people how to be a DM and how to run games and. 
I was just enthralled by all of this content and um, it was just like a, well, an endless void. I well, Maybe the void is the wrong word. It's completely full of all of these um, things you can learn from. And for sure, so, yeah, I, I was an avid consumer. Yeah. And totally free, which is, which is the crazy part, right? Like, yeah, you can definitely like support these creators and, you know, a lot of them have Patreons and things like that. And, you know, you should, if, if it's someone that you're really following and, and you're getting a lot of, uh, use out of, but I mean, otherwise, right. It's completely free for you to just like learn something and you can learn everything you can ever want or ever need to learn on YouTube. I feel like nowadays. Yeah, you can. And, um, just to go back to your point there about supporting people, I, I had never um, paid out money to someone or like through Patreon um, before. And um, when I sat and thought about it, I was like, look, this Sarastro guy and Miniac, I mean, they literally taught me how to paint minis. And that is now kind of, at the time, changed my life because it made my D&D games better by, by bringing these painted minis to the table. I learned a new skill. I learned a lot about, you know, color theory and how to do shadows and, you know, mm. all the intricacies of painting. And I'm like, that's got to be worth the $5 per month or whatever it was they were charging at the time. And so I like gladly opened my wallet or my, you know, <laughs> put my credit card in because these are real skills that have improved my life and the quality of my game. And, yeah. you know, I pay my cable bill for some you know some good shows but a lot of bad ones and um, so why not why not pay for the things that are actually helping me and yeah if, if i'm enjoying the content of someone that someone's creating i want to support them so yeah if people are enjoying my content hey you know think about supporting it <laughs> hey for sure. <laughs> for sure for sure man yeah no definitely i think that's I think that's awesome. I think it. I think the internet is cool for that reason, right? Is that it gives a place for people to be able to show their talents, teach their talents to others, and also potentially uh, make a living out of it, or at least like a side income out of it for you know for themselves, which is which is just really cool. Yeah, and just the fact that we have that freedom to be creative and to potentially be rewarded financially for it, I just think that that's amazing thing, and it it brings me a lot of joy to see the diversity and like the spectrum of the content and topics that people have really latched onto and made a living out of. I think that that's just phenomenal to live in this um, digital age of, of information and, and to have that as an option in our lives is just phenomenal. For sure. For sure. I agree with that 100%. Um, all right. got one last icebreaker for you before we move into today's topic, and that is outside of D&D, outside of tabletop, outside of your game show that you run, what is the hobby that you enjoy the most? I mean, I like to try to stay as fit as I can. Um, part of my motivation to, to build up the, the, the guts to start a YouTube show came from uh, David Goggins, who and Jocko Willink, um, two pretty like hardcore guys. Um, and I listen to them while I run, and I absolutely detest running. It is the worst thing ever. Um, <laughs> there's nothing fun about it. But for me, it's a discipline thing. Um, that if I do it every day, I'm winning the battle over my own laziness and my mm. own mind that's trying to keep me comfortable all the time. Mm. And I think in these creative environments, you have to be uncomfortable if you're going to succeed. So having ex-army dudes yelling in my ear not to quit and that everything's on me and if I fail, it's my fault. And these are all really harsh messages and it's not for everyone, but as a, you know, as a former army guy, it resonates with me. So to get back to your question, fitness, but it's a struggle and it's a struggle every day. Yeah, dude, running sucks. It just really does. I, <laughs> I did, uh, sorry, I tried to train for a 5k once. <laughs> this is like, a, this is a couple of years back. My wife and I, like, she wanted to do a 5K, and I was like, yeah, I'll do it. I downloaded this app. I think it was, like, Couch to 5K or something like that, where they, like, teach you how to, like, you, you incrementally increase your running every day uh, until you're running 
36 minutes straight, which they say is like average time for a 5k. And so I was like, yeah, let's do it. I got on the training, started going for it and literally like hated every second of it. But I got to a point where I, I think I, I reached a pinnacle where I could run like 15 minutes straight without stopping, which was a huge accomplishment for me. Never thought I'd make it there. And I, and I complete, even though I didn't complete the program, I went on and did the 5k and I wasn't the last to finish. So it's still a win. It was still a win, but the end of the day running sucks ass. Yeah. Look, and that, and that is awesome for you that you did it because I mean, I know how hard it is. And I think a lot of people would like to be able to run 15 minutes in a row and, um, it's not easy, but this is the thing. Like if you want to accomplish anything in life, if it's worth doing, it's not going to be easy. And so these little discipline items that you can win every day is going to help you continue that throughout the day, you know, and push your project one step further each day, or, you know, you just start small and um, have the discipline to keep going and do a little bit each day. And I think that that's one of the most valuable lessons in all of this um, for me, this process. I mean, I think honestly, we could just end the episode there. I think that was probably one of the best like life tips you could you could give. Uh, and so, I mean, let's just wrap it. I think that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? If I can add one more to that then, and, and Jocko says this, it's like, what would you say to like 20-year-old, self you know and how would you have wanted to change your life back then if you could like looking back all those decades ago and where you are now and his answer in a very like harsh tone he's like it doesn't matter like you have today like yeah forget 20 years ago just whatever it is you want to do start doing it today period yeah right you have to just engage like the stars are not going to align for you no one is going to knock on your door and be like hey I want you to be the DM on my YouTube show. Like that is not <laughs> going to happen, fellas and, and ladies. And you gotta like, you gotta do it yourself. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I like that. I like that a lot. And I think that's a great place to end icebreakers and move straight into today's conversation uh, and carry that momentum right over. So let's go ahead and do just that. Perfect. All right, so today we're talking about the the game show, the one that is better than Jeopardy, and that is. Did wait, hold on. Do you guys have Jeopardy in Canada? Oh yeah, yeah. Well, okay. It's we, yeah, we we get your version of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like we okay. used to be Alex Trebek, and yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. I, I just didn't know because I know there's some like countries they don't like show certain programming, and I was like, I don't know if that was a proper reference. Anyway, okay, great. You know what Jeopardy is. Uh, so <laughs> anyway, so it's better than Jeopardy. And it's amazing. Uh, and I got to tune into an episode of it. I was supposed to be on it yesterday's recording. I was supposed to be there. And unfortunately, I could not make it. Uh, but I'm looking forward to a reschedule at some point so I can participate. And I encourage everybody to, after this, you hear this episode, go out, go to the website, look it up. If it's for you, you should definitely apply um, because it's, it's really awesome. It's, really, it's a really cool thing that you're doing. So I want to start at the beginning of it all and kind of talk through the origins of this show. And so how did you think of this idea? What made you want to go for it? That's a really good question. So throughout most of 2021, um, mid COVID, my wife was, was pregnant. So we were at home with not a lot to do. So we were watching a bit more TV than we probably should have. And I was playing a heck of a lot of D and D, uh, which was great. Um, but shows like Squid Game were on and watching Squid Game, I was like, oh, this is a really good concept. How can I like bring this into D&D? You know, all of these scenarios where these people like walk into a room where the lights come on and you have no idea what's going on and the game starts and everyone just has to adapt or die. And that's pretty harsh. And yeah, like that's a great idea to try to bring into D and D. And you know, I knew I couldn't bring it really into my home games in it 
in that level of lethality um, because my players would be pretty pissed off. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought, well, you know, why can't I do how like run some sort of one shot where I'm up front with the players and I just say, look, only half of you are going to survive this round and it, you know, it's going to suck, but it's going to be entertaining. <laughs> yeah. And when you die, it's going to be dynamic and colorful and perhaps loud and just sheer entertainment value of over the top death. And, um, I just kind of carried on with that idea and started to branch out and think like, well, what kinds of games would there be? You know, obviously like monsters and then like traps, of course, and then exploration. And then you got to have some PVP in there. And so those were kind of like the the ingredients that went into the cauldron and started thinking about like Big Brother and Hunger Games um, and the running man from way back if you're an Arnold Schwarzenegger fan in the 80s. <laughs> Yeah, so that was kind of the the beginning. And then it was just taking all of those ideas and trying to create a framework around it that made sense. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, that so that was kind of the, the beginnings of it. Okay. All right. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, and you could definitely tell like, not like, and, and this is no way of saying like it's a, a ripoff of Squid Game or anything like that. Uh, but you could definitely tell like the influences there. And it's really cool to hear about those influences. Because it just gives me more perspective when I'm watching it to be like, oh yeah, this is. I mean, I loved. I was a huge fan of Squid Game, and I'm and uh, at the same time, while I'm watching one of your episodes and wanting to tune into all to the other episodes, is that I'm a, I'm already you sold me even on half of an episode, and and like can't wait to dig into more because of how entertaining you make it, and just the production value in and of itself is huge and you're already having like a good amount of success on youtube i mean looking at your view count and like your subscribers it's like already pretty evident that you're what you know a few months into this right about a half year ish or so would you say three three months three months okay yeah so you're three months into this and you're already having like some good success on youtube and it just i think it just is a testament to how well uh how well your show is like ran you're just doing a phenomenal job man well thank you man i i really appreciate that and i've I've been very lucky. I put some posts out on Facebook uh, early on just to say like, hey guys, here's a link to my show, you know, check it out. But I tried to be a bit vulnerable about that post and just say, you know, I told my, my story about, you know, my son and how even though he's really young right now, I want him to grow up without fear like I grew up with. Um, that, you know, maybe I, I couldn't do something or I shouldn't do mm -hmm. something. So, you know, I wrote a letter to him saying, you got to follow your heart. You got to follow your passions and don't let anyone get in your way. So I put that in my post on Facebook in the Dungeons and Dads Facebook group. And I showed a couple of pictures of the basement just to say like, look, I'm investing some money in this guys. Like I'm not fooling around here. Yeah. Here's the first episode. If you like it, great, you know? And, um, yeah, that just exploded because the couple of Facebook groups that I posted on, I mean, they're, they're not small and it resonated with people and especially other dads and, and some people, um, were like, this is a great story. You know, I, I want to show my son or my daughter how to do these things and good for you for taking the plunge. And so it drew a bunch of like-minded people in. So we got a really strong start. Now I think I'm in the more organic YouTube zone where, you mm -hmm. know, we're getting a couple of subscribers a day, but we're putting the content out on schedule. The Discord server is growing steadily and that's a fantastic community of like-minded, kind, helpful D&D &D and fantasy lovers. And, um, you know, we invite everyone to join it. And um, it's just a very strong, organic growth for the show, which I'm extremely grateful for. That's awesome. Yeah. And I, you know, listen, organic growth, I think is like kind of some of the best growth. You know, it's, it's definitely can be challenging at times. It can be disheartening at times when you're doing organic growth. But honestly, like I would much rather someone tune into my show uh, because they had a friend tell them about it and be like, hey, this is a cool show. You should check this out. 
more than if I paid money to a corporation to be like, hey, put my name out there and someone and someone tuned in. And I'm like, listen, I'm grateful for every listener. That's not what I'm trying to say. But I think that word of mouth is just always a better recommendation. So I'm I'm excited for the organic growth, you know, uh, of my show. But I'm also excited to hear that you know your your show's growing organically, and you you are getting like additional people to tune in and things like that. So and I I think that as content creators, you know, you can only put out genuine content that you believe in, and just hope that others latch on to it, right? Like you know your show and everything that that you're doing. Obviously, you wouldn't be doing it if you didn't believe in it and you're bringing people on that you want to talk to you're discussing the topics that you're interested in and there's people out there who are also interested in that and i think as long as you're you know genuine and you you put the energy into it then um it'll succeed it's it's just tenacity at the end of the day not not to give up for sure man all right well moving down over to the next question here I have, you know, from so from a DM perspective, right? This is a very interesting concept of a show because every episode you have six players who join you in this crucible. Uh, they're going to run these mini games, and they're with their ultimate goal to stay alive and move on to the next round. Uh, three of them are are going to die every episode because only half the players can can proceed to the next round of play, and so it's already very different. Typically, I'll, I'll say it's very different than the traditional session. Um, although if you're like me, you'll run sessions where you didn't mean to kill half your players and you kill them, <laughs> but it happens. So how do you like prepare for it? How is it different than you prep for like a regular campaign? And how do you prep for it? And how do you prep your players for it uh, when, you, when you have all of this in mind of being like very dangerous, more deadly? Permit me a moment. I'm going to just kind of give the framework of the show uh, which I think would help stage yeah, for sure. the So um, Crucible of Fate, it's it's a high-stakes, competitive, open invitational game show. It's the D&D game show. Anyone can apply to be a contestant. And I, I mean that. Like, I am not screening anyone out. If you send me in your character, I'm kind of going chronologically from um, receipt of character and then an interview, and um, then you can, you know, be on the show. The, the way the show is structured is that it's a persistent abyssal demiplane run by like a demon prince named Theramgul. So he kind of like administers this game zone, which is a collection of 50 distinct zones. There's five rounds to the show, and in each round, the player characters go up in level. So starting with 120 contestants, round one is 20 episodes with six people in each one, and then yeah, half move on to round two, and then kind of half move on to round three, and so on. So the, the creatures and like the denizens and the 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 escape rooms and um some of the more powerful beings and entities that are in this game zone they're persistent so they're really powerful but they don't change throughout well most of them <laughs> don't change uh spoiler alert um throughout <laughs> <laughs> the whole show so in round one each group of six level threes that go through, they're going to have to play in a game called Hunter and Hunted where they'll fight an epic monster. They're going to have to do Escape the Room where they find themselves in a strange room and they need to get out. And then finally, um, they play in Split the Party where whoever survives the first two games turn on each other until only three remain. Uh, so in round one, you can imagine fighting some of these epic creatures is terrifying because you're going up against adult black dragons and death knights and skull lords. And I mean, I don't want to give away any of the future monsters, but you get the idea. I mean, these are like CR, uh, I mean, a beholder in episode one, CR 13 and up essentially is what level threes are going to be facing off. So all of that to say that people need to come to the show 
knowing that half the contestants are going to die and some at the hands of the other characters. Uh, and then, of course, I give them fair warning that, look, this is a deadly game. This isn't like normal D&D. I'm not going to do anything to help you. I can't give you any hints. I can't. I'm just there to adjudicate the rules. And and that's it. The rest is up to you and your fellow contestants to navigate your own way through. And uh, that makes it quite entertaining. No, it really does. I mean, I tuning into... I, like I said, t- I tuned into, I think it was episode 4.1 uh, and and listened to that today, actually. And man, it was super entertaining. The players, like watching the players, how they interacted with the world uh, and the map that you had, how they interacted with one another. It was just, it was very interesting to watch the decisions being made, knowing they're going up against this incredibly tough monster that is probably not beatable, Right. Like, you know, unless they get extremely lucky, uh, it's probably not beatable. And so it's like, how soon do I turn against one another or what's my, my, the, the other people in this arena? Do I use them for help? Do I not use them? Am I just, should I play solo? Should I create an alliance? Should I not create an alliance? There's all these strategies and all these things that like people are just, uh, you know, bringing to the table. And so it almost feels like in some ways I got, a, I got a, like a vibe of like survivor, as well, like essence, right? And it's just, it's really, an, it's its kind of like a social experiment at the same time as it is a game show. Totally. And look, man, you're going to have to cut me off at some point because I can talk about this show for hours. Um, <laughs> there's a few elements that we've introduced that are different than anything that I, at least I've seen on other shows. Um, I don't know if we're unique. I mean, I'd like to think we are. But So before the contestants go into their first game, and then in between each game, um, each subsequent game, they have these things called intermission actions. And there they can do things like take short rests. They can cast spells you know, on other players or to help themselves. Um, they can go shopping in the gift shop um, where you know, in the gift shop they can buy anything from the player's handbook or my homebrew items, which... Um, are very powerful, but they come at a cost because you have to buy them using spins on the wheel of consequence. And these are horrible consequences like being slowed for the rest of the game, being poisoned for the rest of the game. Mm-hmm. That's terrible in a competitive environment. Um, for sure. But the most important intermission action, in my opinion, are the is the parlay circle. And because we're playing on Zoom, and using D&D Beyond for all of our dice rolls to keep it fair and to keep character creation fair. In Zoom, what I can do for the parlay circle is um, in initiative order, people get turns to do these intermission actions. And if they choose to parlay, they can call someone else into like a private room with them. And so I kick everyone out into the waiting room in Zoom and I bring these people in and, you know, we have a special overlay for it on the show. And so it's just the two of them talking. No one else can hear. And these people, like, they come together and they conspire. Like they literally <laughs> conspire against their fellow competitors. But the audience, you get to see all of that as it's happening. I mean, not live streaming, but like you see it as it happened in the game. And the other contestants are completely unaware of what's happening around them. And then when it's their turn to come in, you know, they're going with their strategy. And, and so sometimes you see a contestant or two getting called into like three different parlays and they're like, yeah, yeah, no problem, man. I got your back. Like we're in this together. We're bros. Uh, and you know, and then in the show they like kill each other. And (laughs) so it almost brings the game of diplomacy into it too, because you, you never know what the contestants are going to do. And that totally changes in my mind, the PVP dynamic. This is not just a straight up battle royale, PCs fighting each other. There's a lot more to it. For sure. And those are all very important elements in the game, right? Like a dis- a conversation with a with another PC or another player in the game could mean the difference between life and death in the Crucible. And I just think that's very intriguing. It's not like Fortnite. It's not, you know, other uh, other like competitive games out there, video games. And that kind of leads into my next question a little bit, which is that you kind of find yourself in this unique space 
that blends the world uh, of actual play and esports together. You know, it's kind of part actual play D and D, and it's also like in like a it's a sporting competition, like an esports competition, where you know players are pitting themselves against each other uh, and the environment, and it's just kind of this unique you know zone. And I'm I'm assuming that that's what kind of what you were aiming for when you started this when you started the the project. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I what I'm looking for at the end of this, and I'm going to have a promotional video that that's going to speak to this, probably an in character one, where I'm going to speak to the internet on, on YouTube and say, one of you out there is the champion of Crucible of Fate. You don't know it yet, but you're the champion. You're going to win. Uh, over 119 other contestants. But before you can be this champion, you have to apply. And if you don't apply, you know, it's the whole Wayne Gretzky thing. 100% of the shots you don't take, don't go in. So, you know, kind of get off your ass and apply. Now, it's not 100% skill like some esports are because obviously there's the dice that play a huge role. But... I do my best to keep things fair. Um, so, you know, I roll randomly to see who's going to get attacked unless um, another player does something that would definitely draw the attention of the other, of, of the monster. Um, I give everyone these homebrew items called Fate Spheres. Everybody has six and they have to last you throughout the entire kind of campaign, not just each episode, but like the entire time you're on the show. And you can use those fate spheres to do different things like give people, give yourself advantage, give someone else disadvantage, re-roll any role in the game. If the monster's coming for you, you can use the fate sphere to make me re-roll to make it another target. So there's some elements there that will help you survive, but it's your skill in building a D&D character that it aligns with your strategy throughout the show that's going to help you win. But you have to combine that with how you as a person act in the Discord server when you're interacting with the other contestants on the show and how you role play and whether your role play appeals to people. Mm. So there's all of these elements mechanical and personality driven and strategy that all kind of meld together and you can't win unless you do all of them effectively again i i don't know why because it's, it's not it's not at all like survivor but it is like that same mantra of outwit outplay outlast that kind of really rings true in this crucible right because you got to outwit your fellow players and you obviously got to outlast them. That's the only way you're going to win. Uh, and you got to outplay them. You know, you got to, at the end of the day, like make the decisions that are going to like make you go further in the game. And if that means firing an old Eldritch Blast at your competitor, because uh, they're at two hit points and you're just like, I got to get out of this. Like, that's what it means. And, but, but at the same time, it's like, when, when do you do that? When do you make that move? Cause if you make it too early, all the other players are going to turn on you because they're going to be like, oh, look at you just out here killing people. Uh, and so it just makes it for a very interesting watch and a very interesting, what I can imagine would be a very interesting play experience, which is why I'm so excited to uh, to actually give it a go. You're, you're bang on. And those kinds of scenarios do come up. Uh, you know, I keep saying to everyone who's entering the show is like, round one, forget about winning. Like, don't even think about winning. That's not going to happen. You need to think about that scene in The Walking Dead where they're running away from the zombies and someone turns and shoots the other guy in the leg, you know, and the zombies all eat him and the other guy keeps running. Like that's that's the mentality you need to have in round one, Crucible of Fate. You know, spells like hold person, sure, they're fun when you're playing normal D&D, but when you're in a competitive environment and you paralyze two of your fellow contestants, that's amazing. Right. And then they're <laughs> left defenseless. Like all these spells that are great in um, in normal D&D play, they're so powerful in Crucible of Fate. And you really have to adjust your thinking. There's an endless amount of combinations of um, race. Well, I guess I should say species now 
class and like subclass and strategy that's gonna, um, that you can take, right? There's an endless number of paths you can take. Yeah. And, um, I really do think that that's, that's the, uh, that's the appeal here. And in, in some of the episodes till now, like episode two, you have players asking in the game, like, Oh, am I allowed to attack the other people? It's like, well, yeah, you can do whatever you want. And everyone's been good enough that, you know, I had like a player um, try to shoot someone in the back with a bow and arrow, but they missed and it was in the general direction of the big bad. And so I said to the player that was being attacked, like, look, an arrow zoomed by your head. You as a contestant know that the other contestant was trying to hit you, but your character does not know that. So I'm holding you to it. Like you, you have to still play the game and everyone's been pretty good. That's really cool. That's really cool. I, I think that uh, just the overall concept is I get really excited about it, especially especially seeing how other people are going to play through. And I actually wanted to talk a little bit about that. And that was your player base. Has it kind of been diverse in the sense of like where they're from? I know the episode I watched, it was a guy from Australia uh, on it. And then, you know, so on and so forth. Have you had, you know, kind of a widespread um, of different cultures or backgrounds or locations of players joining? Yeah, we have. So I mean, obviously, primarily um, the U.S. and Canada is, is the kind of the largest part of my uh, player base. But we've had um, Brazil, uh, Northern Ireland, uh, two from Australia, and um, I think that's it internationally so far. But I'm I'm starting to see comments from people from like Italy and stuff. So. Uh, mm. It's starting to catch on, but I can't say I've noticed any different approaches from like the players from different, um, coming from different locations. I've just noticed that everyone has been really kind of invested in their character. Cause I mean, I make people write a one or two page backstory before as part of their application. Cause otherwise you won't care at all. At least if you take the time to write a backstory, there's an investment there. Yeah. And it puts you in the frame of mind where you have to try to think, how is my character going to react in this situation? And like knowing what I know about where they're coming from, how are they going to approach this room? How are they going to approach the other contestants? So I've just noticed that everyone is invested enough to get into character, whether they use the voice or not. Um, and they have their, 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 um, character's personality on how they're going to interact with the other contestants. And I just find that fascinating how different people come into the show and interact with each other. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And it brings you back to that like, kind of social experiment. And that's kind of what that question was based off of is as someone who's very intrigued by sociology and anthropology and like human behavior in general. Uh, but so, but, but more on the social end, it just is like, well, I want, I wanted to know, you know, do, do, you know, people from different cultures or different backgrounds, do they have different approaches um, with like their character interaction or their pe their player interaction? It sounds like it's been pretty much, you know, even keel across the board, but that'd be very interesting to see as it plays out through your whole 120 player roster in like season one of this game. Uh, already looking forward to season two and you're probably what, like a year <laughs> or so away from getting there? I figured round one, 20 episodes is going to take me a year just because, you know, full-time job and, and baby family and stuff like that. And then rounds two through five is going to be another year. So it's going to be a two-year campaign. That's the plan anyway. That kind of follows actual play podcasts a lot of times, you know, like you look at Critical Role, it's two to three years per campaign. So if you think of it in terms of a campaign, you're kind of spot on with your timing. I feel like a lot of people tune in for, they want to see that adventure play out however long it takes you guys to get there. Uh, so that's really cool. Yeah. And look, I, I am so excited to see who the champion is going to be, or, you know, maybe a group of five or six people just decide to try to do something different at the end. I mean, who knows what a group of six level 15s are going to do in the abyss. Um, but I can't wait to see what happens. And I think that looking at each of those characters that make it to round five, they're all going to have an incredible journey and therefore story if you watch them from episode one like mm -hmm. they have had to survive and undergo harrowing trials 
from the beginning and the fact that they made it all to, to the end, whether it's strategy or relationships or just blind luck, it's still going to be a fantastic tale. And so I have no idea what's going to happen at the end. I don't know who's going to be there. I don't know what they're going to do. And that's really exciting for me. And, and as a DM, I kind of took the easy way out from a certain point of view because I've created this sandbox with the elements already there and the rooms are already decided, uh, you know, and in, in how they're built and stuff. So when people go through it, I don't really have to worry too much about NPCs or are my players going to accept my plot hooks? And like, you know, do, how big do I need to plan around where they are? Because I have no idea what they're going to do. They're locked in. <laughs> and yeah, yeah. They're prison. They're literally prisoners. And Therum Ghoul, the kind of administrator, gets great joy out of watching them suffer through all these ordeals. I mean, it creates no uh, end of guilt for me <laughs> killing this many players, even though, you know, I gave myself the killer DM moniker on the show. It sucks killing people as you get to know them. It really sucks. And I got to kill three people every show. And it's hard and I struggle with it. Um, but hey, I put myself in this place. Now I need to have the guts to to go through with it. Yeah. But yeah, it's going to be some uh, amazing stories that these people are going to create throughout. Well. I can't wait to I can't wait to follow through and and watch all the different episodes, see how people's stories evolve and and see the player base that's, you know, there in round five at your final six and and see who made it and and hear those tales and and know those characters. And I feel like it's really cool because it's gonna give those characters a lot of exposure like it would, you know, like a critical role or, or a other like actual play podcasts, you know, that it's been around for two years, you know, your viewers are going to get a very intimate like knowledge and uh, connection to the, the remaining six that are left. And so this is really exciting to kind of future cast and see what that's going to look like then and, and see where you're at and looking forward to it. And I just want to say too, that, you know, thank you so much for, for, for coming on and talking a little bit about your show. And I think everyone should go check it out uh, for sure. It's, it's definitely worth your time to view um, and also participate in should you, you know, feel that you have the guts to take on the crucible. Um, but before we wrap up the conversation today about your, about your show, how can people get involved if they want to participate in the crucible? Yeah. So crucibleoffate.com is the website. So the uh, kind of general explanation of the game, how to create a character, how to submit your character, uh, like how to apply, it's all on crucibleoffate.com. All of the rules and the format of the show, that that's all there on crucibleoffate.com. Um, then if you want to check out some of the episodes, it's Crucible of Fate is my channel on YouTube. Uh, don't forget to subscribe and click the bell because I'm noticing a lot of my traffic is from non-subscribers. So uh, yeah, it's all there. Crucibleoffate.com has all the answers. So thanks, David, so much for, for sharing your passion project with me and our listeners. Um, and I just can't, I again, cannot wait to see how it shakes out and where it goes over the course of its run. Um, but with that, let's jump into Monster Spotlight. Right, so we're back with another monster spotlight. Uh, we got a really cool monster lined up here. I'm super stoked. No one's talked about it yet. David, so you're the first one. You get first dibs on this monster. Um, and so what monster are you spotlighting for us today? I'm going with the Death Knight today. Ooh. Now, I only know, I have actually have zero knowledge of Death Knight, so I'm actually really excited to hear what you have on this monster uh, other than the wow class that you can play as which is death knight which i i literally like i don't probably doesn't carry over at all so so tell us more about the death knight what do you love about it what makes it harrowing and deserving of the spotlight so caveat i am certainly not an expert on 
Death Knights. Uh, I just think they're really badass. They're fun to play and fun to to throw at your PCs. And there's just so much you could do with their backstories and um, to use them as like a kind of a big bad end guy. My first introduction to Death Knight was, and I'm sure many people, it was the same, was Lord Soth from Dragonlance. Uh, Dragonlance was my introduction to D&D in a way. That's really where I sunk my teeth into the world of Kryn and followed all those characters. And <clears throat> he was by far, Lord Sloth, the most interesting non-kind of um, protagonist in um, those series. Anytime he made an appearance, I was just like, yes, more Lord Sloth. Like, I found him so <laughs> interesting that he was like this former knight of Salamnia and lived with honor and a code, but yet somehow he became undead and was like exiled and was now like evil or conflicted. And he was just ominous in every scene that he was described in. And I don't know whether it was Margaret Weiss or Tracy Hickman that, that brought him in. I, I Again, I, I don't know much about Lord Soth, but uh, they did such a good job of creating it, like in a feeling of power and it just had these vibes. And when you look at the like stat block in the monster manual, I mean, they're, they're powerful. They're CR 17. Um, so they pack a, a pretty solid punch, but I just, I mean, I used one in crucible yesterday and I mean, I granted I was fighting level threes, but the fact, that, <laughs> <laughs> the fact that, you know, in their actions, when they do a multi-attack, they can swing their longsword three times. Um, when they do, it's pretty powerful damage on its own because they throw out 4d8 necrotic damage added on to the, the longsword And that's just their regular hit, right? I mean, so you start carving into people with three attacks with that kind of damage. Uh, that's that's serious. But because they have like this fallen paladin vibe going on, uh, you can add on some uh, searing smites and like staggering smite. So then you're adding even more damage on and just destructive, absolutely uh, destructive. And uh they can banish people they can dispel magic they have hold person and they have command so there's all these like role-playing aspects you can bring in with command and just show how powerful and intimidating they are and yeah then i mean they've got their hellfire orb and this thing is like a fireball on steroids right i mean it's 20 foot radius dc 18 dexterity throw saving throw and it's 10d6 fire damage and 10d6 necrotic. Oh my gosh. So when I hit my player yesterday, I mean, I think it did something like 92 damage. Uh, and he had 30 hit points. <laughs> so Double dead. Oh, triple. Yeah, it was brutal. <laughs> uh, and then, yeah, an AC of 20 and they've got tons of hit points, you know hit points for days at like 180. The only thing I I think um, was a bit limiting is their speed is 30 feet. So okay. uh, I got to make sure to give my death knight some boots of haste. <laughs> <laughs> just to, just to take it, they take that knob and turn it from 10 to 11. Just <laughs> that's right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, that's really cool. That's really cool. I think that, uh, you should also homebrew a an ability for the death knight that allows them to like grab a player and pull them like to him like this grasping just like like a like a scorpion from mortal Kombat type of thing yeah well in the game yesterday i used command to say like kneel before me and ah, the guy passed his saving throw so he didn't get to do that but still <laughs> he didn't get to do that <laughs> yeah but that's that's awesome. Death Knights seem really cool. Uh, very high CR. So everyone out there, if you're looking for a higher CR monster, 
and here's a great tip for everybody too. You can take a higher CR monster in your regular campaign and bring it towards your low level players and use it just to scare them, scare their pants off. You don't have to kill your players with it. You can all you can have your, you know, the bad guy escape or leave after just doing enough damage to really just give them a be like, oh, do we even really want to continue? Do we want to continue being adventurers? <laughs> you know? Um yeah. and but yeah, they, they seem like <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe, and then then you just end up role playing a D and D game where there's no fighting. It's just how to run a tavern, doing taxes, uh, <laughs> and renovations. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, great monster man. Thank you so much for bringing it to our attention. Yeah, no problem at all. I I hope that that was the kind of normal way to do your uh, monster spotlight. It was kind of it was spot on. It was okay, spot cool. on for sure. Um, let's move into our DM tip of the episode. Uh, so yeah, my DM tip is, look, say yes more often. People sometimes um, forget that like, when you start a campaign, you think that you're gonna have all of these years and everyone's gonna be level 20 and it's gonna be the best campaign ever and everyone's gonna play happily together you know, until the end of time. But things happen, campaigns come to an end. So that precious time that you have together with your players, you have to make it as enjoyable as possible. So say yes more often. If they want something, find a way to make it happen. If they're asking for it, clearly it's important to them and it's going to raise the bar of their enjoyment of the game. If you say no to a player, you really have to think, are you doing this for like a narrative reason? Is there a mechanical reason? Are they asking for something that's unreasonable? Fair. But if it's just like narrative flair or something that's within the realm of power of where your characters are currently at, just find a way to give it to them. They're going to be appreciative. They're going to be more engaged. They're going to love their character even more. And everyone is just going to feel like they're a more important part of the story and of the, the game. And they're really going to appreciate it. So yeah, that would be my DM tip is be very, very cautious of saying no to your players because you never know how long you're going to have the joy and opportunity to play with them. So you need to make the most of it. That's such a great tip. That's such a great tip, man. Um, I, I 100% live by that that tip in my game. And I encourage you all out there, you know, and taking that one step further, if you if you have to say no because it's going to break the game or if it's going to make it un- like truly, truly unfair um, and make a you know character overpowered versus the, their party mates and things like that, you know, have a good reason, you know, have a really good reason to, to say no and, and have evidence to back that, that, that up. But I agree, man, just say yes. I always say yes as much as possible, even if it breaks the rules, you know, if it's not going to break the game, but break the rules, I just say yes. And, and my players that the fun level in our games have really, has really dramatically increased uh, from me just saying yes, and we get we get more laughs at the table, we get more joy at the table, and at, at the end of the day, at least for for me, that's that's where it's at. Yeah, yeah, that's what it's all about is having fun, and anything that you can do as a DM to appease your players in a rational, reasonable, and non game breaking way, embrace that and encourage it. Awesome. Well, dude, thank you so much for. Uh, giving us that tip and leaving us uh, on that. I think that was a great way to kind of close us out real quick before we say goodbye, David, do you have any other promotions or contact information you want to throw out there to our listeners? So they have that information. Yeah. So if you have any questions about crucible of fate, or you want to reach out to me, just uh, email me high stakes D and D at gmail.com. It might take me a day or two to get back to you, but uh, you know, I, I'm there and eager to answer any and all questions about Crucible of Fate. You can also find me on uh, Instagram and Twitter. There's links to those from my website. That's probably the easiest way to find them. I don't remember my exact handles right now. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> no worries, no worries. I will do. I will find them and I put them in the show notes so that you guys can have an easy one-click access to contact David if you have any questions about the game show or just in general about D and D. So with that, David, thank you so much for taking your time to be here today. I really appreciate it. Um, I hope you have a wonderful rest of your week. Thanks for having me, Heath. It was a blast uh, to chat with you again, as it always is. And I really appreciate the opportunity to talk about Crucible of Fate. Thanks very much. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Everyday Dungeon Master. If you enjoyed what you heard today, we would love it if you would give us a follow on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. And if you're feeling extra nice, drop us a rating and a review, as that helps the show grow. And if you decide to leave us a five-star review, we will give you a shout-out on a future episode. If you're a DM or a player, and you want to drop a future topic suggestion on the show, you can definitely reach out to me. I'd love to hear from all of you at everyday dm pod and at everyday dungeon master at outlook.com by email with that said i wish you all the natural 20s in the world have a great week and i look forward to sharing another amazing episode of everyday dungeon master with you all next week happy gaming nerdy adventures <laughs>